we've now now we're recording. All right, so we we're recording, and we can talk some origin stuff. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the season eight finale for for mentioning dispatches. We're gonna take a break for the summer as we get ready for the topic of tonight's show and that is origins uh so so fred's dog is going to have to find some other dog walking accompaniment other than our podcast until probably around september or so but tonight to send us off in grand style mike is back mike how you doing tonight i'm doing good glad to be back our buddy ardwolf is here gary how you doing everything is great (laughs) (laughs) mike i think gary's been here often enough this season that he may have usurped your title as sort of the the ed mcmahon of the show i i think gary's been on the internet enough to to usurp ed mcmahon's title of whatever ed mcmahon was on the internet (laughs) and ed mcmahon is dead so that's not really a page feat but well be that as it may gary is gary has filled in quite a bit this this season and we appreciate it because he's always a fun dude to have on the show tonight guys we're going to talk about origins because this is our last show before origins actually happens look it's not the biggest or snazziest or coolest war game convention out there we all know that uh we 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 have made fun of it before and no doubt will again over the next 90 minutes somewhere that said there is still a shit ton of war gaming at origins every year far more than just what we do uh because once you add in all the team yankees and bolt actions and axis and allies and everything you know larry bonds naval battleship games and whatever else you end up with a crap ton of of wargaming at origins that just isn't all that well organized around kind of a central location despite our attempts at doing so still are not well organized around a central location there's not a shortage of wargame stuff you can do at origins gary talk to us a little bit about some of the other wargaming stuff you've seen at origins over the years above and beyond you know hanging out with us well there's uh, traditionally always been a a fair amount of wargaming happening in the boardroom uh and that has ranged over the years from you know large footprint labat games that run the whole time to and ocs uh to you know get every year i see u.s civil war on tables for example uh every year i see you know the games you'd expect to see you know your combat commanders and your commands and colors and stuff like that yep. uh love i don't remember if this this wasn't last year uh so it would have been the last pre-pandemic one uh somebody had busted out an spi edition of freedom in the galaxy on a table for example and i was like oh look at this i haven't even seen this in a long time and i hadn't at the time i've since picked up my own copy of it but yeah. uh yeah it's uh it, it, there's there's always a fair amount of wargaming happening uh, you know but it's there's no central location other than the armchair dragoons area which is not large enough to contain all of the wargaming I, i'm willing to take on that challenge if they're willing to give me the floor space that said I don't know that it's ever going to happen. <laughs> um, the Yeah, so 2019, I think, was the year that, that you were talking about Freedom in the Galaxy. Uh, I know we've had Quartermaster General floating around in the you know, in, in, in the space. And and actually there was one year there was a quartermaster general game where some, somebody had made like this giant four foot by five foot map. And I was talking to Ian from Griggling Games about it. Apparently what that was is some dude sent the digital file to like an outdoor carpet maker. Like that was some sort of outdoor floor mat. Like you would have in an entryway for somebody's office was, was the giant quartermaster general map that they had used for the game that year. 
Oh, I think it's, I think I remember that actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looked like some kids after school project they did for extra credit in a mm-hmm. craft class or something, but, but it was cool because it was huge. And yeah. And there's usually like a, like a, a, a large number of tables of things like access and allies and memoir 44 as well. Mm-hmm. And look, let's face it. You're not going to get a 64 player tournament of the Russian campaign at origins. Like ever that said, find me the war game convention in the world at which you are going to find a 64 player tournament of the Russian campaign ever like it just doesn't happen so i'm not sure that even wbc pulls that many players in for russian campaign to be honest about it but i have seen russian campaign on tables yeah it, absolutely so. you, you get folks it, it looked at we all know the curmudgeons right we're rapidly turning into them ourselves but <laughs> we've seen those curmudgeons of you know i want wargaming back like it used to be well, yes it, tell them it, to come bring it back put sure. up or, put up or shut up <laughs> show up and do something about it but but more importantly like even at conventions where wargaming is the thing con sim world or wbc isn't just a wargame convention but it has a crap ton of wargaming there that's not gonna happen like ever the the biggest asl tournament you might get together is at an asl specific weekend and you pull in like 48 dudes and that's for the single most popular wargame franchise going at the moment so where are you going to find those big events like they, they're just not happening anywhere it's not like it's just origins it's blowing them off right i mean there's been a general trend i think in recent years and in, in certainly in wargaming and, and we're even starting to see this with rpg stuff now uh, of you know specialized narrow interest gamers going off and having specialized narrow interest events um you know even things you know a lot of the like large format uh, war games, for example, have drifted off to events like WBC and Concert World Expo and uh, other things like that. And the, you know, a lot of the RPG stuff now, like there's a special traveler event. There's a Harn convention, for example. So if you're into that, that's where you go. You don't go to Gen Con or Origins necessarily. Maybe you go for those too, but you're going to these events to see, a, a generally speaking, a, a broad swath of different stuff. Uh, and that's what these kind of large events are best at. Yeah, one of those special events was our own fault because we did Mastaracon last fall uh, as an online thing just for the, the Mastara Game World fans and had 50 60 people show up for it so so definitely there um mike what is some of the other cool non-dragoons run wargaming stuff that you've seen wandering around origins while you've been there that's tough to answer brand because you know is you know working as a gm underneath you you usually work us till we collapse some exhaustion around 10 o'clock at night so yeah (laughs) not not much opportunity to walk around and see what's going on yeah um slave driver that i am you were mentioning big maps earlier one that comes to mind it, it just kind of blew me away when I saw it was the 3D map of, I think it was 1775. Remember they had the big Oh, the game? Academy Games booth. Academy, yeah. yeah. It, just this beautiful map of 1775 with miniatures and 3D terrain and everything. That was really cool. Yeah, they, they've got the, the so not the sale booth over in the exhibit hall, but the game, the Academy Games sponsored gaming area. I always got a kick out of because you're right, those things are beautiful. And, and you get over there and you play, whether it's 1775 or one of the others, uh, um, I, I think they've got a 1754 one that's the same way. That's it's got the the big 3D map and the minis on there, and you're like, man, this is awesome. Where can I buy this? And the answer is you can't. Like yeah. you can go buy the board <laughs> game with the cubes, but you can't buy the cool 3D terrain map with all the figures all over it. So I'm sure I would be willing to guess that. that the same people who are telling us that there is no war gaming at Origins are the exact same people telling us that that game is not a war game. Yeah, well, that may be so. 
I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> They're also the same people that won't show up when you do put together 45, 50, 55 war game events over the course of a long weekend. And and not a bunch of Memoir 44s either, right? We've had over the years, either with the Dragoons or our previous incarnation, Second World War at Sea, Lock and Low Tactical, World at War 80, well, World War 85. We've had Fields of Despair. We've had Wing Leader. We've we've not had a shortage of groggy games over the years. No. And we still those those guys won't show up and play. So I, at this point, I just kind of ignore them. I I, I make fun of them and you it's know, their them. fault. Yeah, that's what I say. I mean, that's I just went into this with Dan. It's it's their fault because they are not showing up to play the war games that are here to play yes. or run. If you want war games to be at Origin, cool. Show up and run some more origins war games and or or show up and play put up or shut up we're, yeah. we're putting up here uh here at this table or or so, both well, show bet, up that'd and be run a couple of your own and then play in some others and... sure and so have we also filled in some of the gaps in the schedule with fort sumter yes Yes, we have. In part because it was the cool new thing from GMT, and GMT does a great job of supporting us and Enterprise Games at Origins, and we wanted to show some love to GMT by helping get their cool new game on the table, and that's what we did. Um, We've also done, I mean, Mike had Cataclysm there one year and Time of Crisis another. Still looking for those Japanese infantry guys. We're bringing, <laughs> we're bringing uh, big games back to Origins this year as well with a, uh, you know, a, a, a more modest Europa loadout. We're going to have a yeah. Europa game running the entire time. Well, Thursday through Saturday, anyway. Yeah. So speaking of, for the event program this year over in the Dragoons area, um, it, it's not huge. It is definitely more robust than we had in October. October of 2021, uh, which let's be fair, that's a low bar to clear. <laughs> it was a bit uh, anemic, but even last year we had, you know, Second World War at sea running and, you know, plenty we, of other stuff. Yeah, we had, we ended up with, with six different games uh, all run at least once. As official events in the program, we had Commands and Colors Napoleonics, which was what Gary was doing. We had one session of Tank Duel before we lost the GM. He had to go home for a family emergency. We had Age of Dogfight, Second World War at Sea, Tank on Tank, and A Distant Plane. And look, that's... we. Covered a lot of ground there with uh, with the limited number of people we had available, and we had a good time with it. So this year, we have 38 events, 38 separate events in the program that we have submitted. Now, as we are recording this, they have not been officially approved by Gamma. Quite frankly, by the time we release this, I do not expect them to be officially approved by Gamma. Uh, that said... <laughs> how, how much bad talk can we talk about Gamma without getting in trouble? <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. We're gonna we're gonna find out. No, but a fine so and well organized crackerjack team they are. What so, Gary's asking is, can you get your schedule approved? Then they hear this podcast and then pull it all back. So what I will say is that in the seven or eight years or so that we've run the Wargame HQ, plus the five or six years of doing stuff with the Origins War College before that. We have never not had our entire schedule approved. And in large part because we're sort of a self-contained unit that they give us a bunch of table space and tell us to go figure it out. And and we do. 
And so on one hand, we do make their life a little bit easier because they don't have to manage all that table space for us or anything. Um, it, it does give us a little more autonomy to be able to arrange those things. And so while this is not yet officially approved by Gamma, I don't have a problem releasing it at this point with the caveat of, you know, this is this is projected, not final. As we are recording this, it has not yet posted to the site. But by the time we release this, this will have been posted to the site yesterday. You can take a look at what we are planning to do for our origin schedule this year. Gary mentioned Europa. We've got, it, it's six sessions of Europa on the calendar, right? Is that what we ended up with? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so we've got, Europa is one of the big You are, so the, the, uh, the, let me point out that the point is that you don't have to necessarily sign up to play it for four days, right? You can, you can sign up for a slot to play and we will, we will fit you in. Yeah, so we've got we have six of them on the calendar here, two each, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And they're each four-hour sessions of Europa. And which game are you guys doing, Gary? Second front? Second front. Second front. And the intent is that this is a rolling game. So we're not going to reset between each game. The 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 first session is going to be on Thursday at like 1 p.m. And so we'll play that session for four hours, take a break for dinner. And at 7 p.m., we'll start the next session where the previous one left off. And maybe making allowances in one or two places for let's back up part of this turn because something really stupid happened or whatever. Uh, And Gary and Lee are going to control those things, but it's going to be a rolling game. We're going to, the, each session will pick up where the previous one left off, but you don't have to play in them all. Play in the ones that you can fit into your schedule. Right. So, so, so with something like that, for me, just not knowing, and somebody's probably wondering this out there, is that newbie friendly, Gary? I mean, can somebody that hasn't played this walk into a, the third session and? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're we're up? we're we're going to try to you know if we can introduce new folks to to you know hexing heavy hexing counter war games, then more the be- more's the better, right? I would ask, I'd say that you don't necessarily need to be an experienced Europa player or war gamer. Just you know, if you you want to sit down and we'll we'll coach you, we can totally work with that. Yeah, and we've got those games set up to seat up to six, so we can we can handle multiple players on each side. So, Mike, you're you're asking the underlying question of pretty much any of our events. We plan to teach rules at every single one of our events. So we, we... plan for and expect that if we happen to get some experienced players that already know what they're doing that's great that just means we get a little more game time but but we don't count on that we count on having to explain rules to folks and teach people the games as we go so that's that's something that we've always done the entire time we've been running the wargaming program at origins the big tent pole this year one of the two is the europa game and we have six sessions of europa on the schedule at uh at four hours per. Gary, you may be gratified to know that I have, in fact, spoken with Enterprise Games, and Don is going to consider adding a couple of secondhand Europa games to his loadout for the convention. Oh, cool. So if people are playing Europa and decide, wow, this is really cool, I want to take the plunge. The trick can... is, to, is to make me not buy them. Yes, well. <laughs> so... I mean, I do have a decent number of them already. You could make the arrangements for Don for them. Ahead I am of aware of that. Yes. <laughs> and just have him deliver them to you. And that way, the ones that he brings on the shelf are there for the people you convince to give yes. Europa a try and teach them to love it. So we so, know for sure that uh, Enterprise Games is showing up then, it sounds like. We know for sure that Enterprise Games is showing up. I then I will call the bank tomorrow and let them know. <laughs> <laughs> Open up that line of credit, huh? <laughs> exactly. I just paid off the one from the last time I was at Origins, so it worked out good. 
Oh, I guess I got to Well, I, I'm already planning the purchases in my head right now. Not of Europa. Don's unlikely to bring anything that I actually don't already have. But no, see, inter- uh, Enterprise Games is always unplanned purchases because they always have those games. You're like, whoa, you've got this, and you just yeah, you and it's it. like a great price. And oh, I got exactly. I, I now have. I didn't know I had to have it, but I I have to have it, right? Or or you leave your extra copy of Commands and Colors at home. Oh, screw it! I'll just buy another one. <laughs> That's fine. It Our could be my travel copy. Our, our other big tentpole event that is going to fill a good chunk of time over the weekend is actually a game you can't buy yet. And Gary's seen it, and and we are friends with the dudes from Invicta Rex Games, and that is the guys doing Song for War. We played it at Buckeye Game Fest, had a short interview with them while we were there. Gary interviewed them back in January at the ACDC, yep. and we had a handful of, ta- was it Tabletop Simulator or Vassal Games with those guys back in January? Uh, we, Vassal, I thought. Were, were they doing Vassal? We, we had some online games with uh seth and chris from song for war and so they also have six four-hour sessions of song for war this is uh it 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 looks like axis and allies with counters instead of minis it does not play like axis and allies um it it's still a larger operational level game there is still some production facet to it i did get a chance to sit down and play a full game session with the guys at buckeye game fest more than most big format war games like this there is very little downtime because of the turn structure where where you walk your way through the entire turn structure several times during each turn the entire sequence of play several times during each turn and and so there are lots of opportunities for all four players around the table to get involved in the game as you're as you're in it the four players, the U.S., the Brits, the Italians, and the Germans is, is who you've got it. And so we're clear on this. The individual slots are discrete games of Song for War, right? It's not like Europa where it's kind of one running, rolling event through the entire event. They're actually going to play a whole, you're going to play a whole game in that four hour slot. Correct. You are going to play the full game in the four hour slot. And, and, and you can, um, I don't know if they're going to set up the shorter scenario or the longer scenario. I think they'll probably set up the shorter one just to make sure there's plenty of time for teaching the rules as a part of the scenario, but it doesn't take that long to teach the rules. And these guys are pretty good at it now after doing it for a year and a half that, that they've got a pretty good system for introducing you to the game and, and getting you learned up on it and and it's a fun game it's a fast moving game um i had a blast with it at buckeye game fest and i definitely recommend folks try and check that one out so between europa and song for war that is what uh, i'm doing the math in my head here that's like 48 hours worth of gaming right there something like that yeah right six times four so that's 24 hours for each of those two games so that's 48 hours worth of war gaming right there that we just accounted for so and that's just day one yeah (laughs) song for war is actually a little unusual normally we don't do a Sunday morning event because we've just got our raffle and then we pack everything up to go home. Uh, Seth and Chris wanted to do one on Sunday morning last year in October when uh, when Gary and I saw these guys at Origins 21. They had a crowd still over there on Sunday morning playing. So uh, it, we said, sure, if you want to play Sunday morning, we'll put you on the schedule for Sunday morning. It's no problem. So, so that's what we did. Mike. You are GMing this year. You've decided to come back and, and join us again now that the plague, is, well, it's not over, but now that you you can escape the house for a little bit. I can escape uh, the house for a little bit. Yeah, I've missed the last two Origins, so I'm glad to be returning to Origins. Yeah, so what, what has Mike got on the table for us? I think I'm scheduled to run Bayonets and Tomahawks, if I'm not mistaken, from GMT. And there's going to be three sessions of that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and... 
whether that's a war game or not, I don't know. We can argue about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then also, uh, we have been in contact with, um, uh, what's his name, Wolfgang Klein from Assault Games. So we are going to try to have a copy of Assault Red Horizon 41. It's not an official event, but I'm hoping to have a copy of that in my hands. And maybe outside of the our regularly scheduled events, we can show off Assault Red Horizon 41, maybe play a few turns, take a look at what it's all about. In our copious free time. In our, in our copious free time, if we're not exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah, something to that effect. So, um, so yeah, Mike is on the books for three three-hour sessions of bayonets and tomahawks, so that we get something a little. We still, you know, again, wanting to support GMT and making sure we get some of their games on the table. But it's also something we don't normally do a lot of Birth of America era types of games, whether they're French and Indian War, Seven Years War, uh, Revolutionary War. I think in in all of the time that we've been that we've been doing uh the war game program at Origins, Liberty or Death is the only other time we've done an American Revolutionary era game. I know Bayonet's Tomahawks is French and Indian War, not Revolutionary War, but that, that same time period. Uh, well, I think isn't that partly because we're limited by, uh, on what we can choose to run? It used to be. That is not the case anymore. Gamma has given us a lot more latitude for bringing things in that don't have to be tied to the vendor hall. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. How we get Europe on the table? Because <laughs> because I'm pretty sure GDW's not strolling into the booth <laughs> somewhere. Well, if Winston strolls into the booth, we got a serious problem. Yeah, well, there's that. Um, so so we we are less constrained than we used to be. One of the other things that has changed also, and and this might be a little too insidery for <laughs> some folks, but other folks might appreciate the explanation here. For the longest time, you bought a badge for Origins, and then you bought tickets for the end individual events you were playing in. So the badge cost, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 bucks, whatever it costs. And then you would buy event tickets at two bucks per ticket. And in the event tickets for... Uh, a, a single event ticket that was good for up to a two hour event. And then if it was a four hour, a three or four hour event, then it cost you four bucks. If it was up to six, then it cost you six bucks. So, so you were paying two bucks for every two hours worth of event. The way we structured our program, we wanted to maximize people's value for stuff. So we programmed everything for either two hours or four hours. We weren't going to charge you for four hours of stuff and only give you three hours of gameplay. Origins has changed that 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 price model this year. The price of the individual badge has gone up a little. I, I don't know how much. Quite frankly, I haven't paid for a badge at Origins ever. Um, <laughs> between being a GM or being a vendor or being you know a journalist, I've never paid for a badge at Origins. But the the origins badge price went up some however there is now no individual event cost so you're not buying individual event tickets the way you used to you still have to sign up for the event but it doesn't cost you anything to sign up for that event so bayonets and tomahawks Mike, we set this thing up at three hours. That gives you a little bit of time to teach and then some time to actually get the full scenarios played. Uh, we wouldn't have done that under the old pricing model because we wouldn't be charging you for four hours worth of game and only give you three hours worth of it. So, yeah, this is a little bit more under the hood than some people probably care about for Origins, but I just wanted to take a moment and explain there's some changes this year for tickets. So this is not like insider info. At the, at the time of this recording, uh, folks are already talking about this. Uh, it's not quite all inclusive, to my understanding. There will be some of like quote unquote premium events that you'll still Correct. have to pay separately for. Examples would I I would imagine be things like True Dungeon, um, yep. or maybe uh, maybe uh, Artemis. 
that might yeah, be a Ar- premium. Artemis Bridge well. Simulator, True Dungeon. There's a couple of those other big full immersion kinds of events that do still have an additional per event charge, and it's it's significant. The True Dungeon tickets, I think, were running like twenty or twenty five bucks or something, pretty hefty. Yeah, but that's because True Dungeon's getting that money. Yes. Well, and because True Dungeon has to move a Hollywood movie set in and out of the back of the convention all to do this. I, I hear it's really cool, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it. we've had several of our folks over the years actually go participate in it, uh, sunk the cost into <laughs> Not me. it, and said it was, it said it was awesome. It, it's really, it, it's an escape room with better effects, really, is, hmm. is what it comes down to. It's it's the RP, it's the LARP version of a fantasy escape room. Um so those things still have some premium costs, but the individual events like we're doing do not have any sort of premium cost on them. So, so we're, we've got a little more flexibility in the way in which we're going to choose to schedule these things. Um, it, and on one hand, and so Gary's right, this is not insider information that the ticket pricing model has changed. This has been open knowledge since January. Explaining to people how we chose to structure our events is a little bit of that insider info because it's not something we've ever really talked about. The The thing that everybody's a little curious about is, is this going to help or hurt individual event attendance? On one hand, it might help because people may be willing to sign up for more events because there's no cost to them above and beyond being at the show. On the other hand, having people pony up for the ticket for that event and actually paying for it seems to have been a more likely guarantee of those people showing up. They're not going to just lose money by blowing off something they had paid for. It'll be interesting to see how many people sign up for events that they don't show up for and don't think a thing about it because it didn't cost them anything to sign up for it. I mean, I'll be curious to see the results, but my feeling on this is that those people are going to complain regardless and... You know, it doesn't really matter what decision gets made if they would complain about the decision not getting made, if, if not. Um, I have never hesitated to blow off an event. I didn't feel like going to whether I paid for it or not. Whether I paid, you know, a, the princely sum of $4, yeah. for which I cannot even get a freaking Big Mac anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I paid it three months ago. Come on. I, I don't think, I, I mean, I the, the amount of incentive present there is is absolutely microscopic. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I've heard folks come down on both sides of that argument. I heard, right? I've read it on social media in different places. The bottom line is we don't know. We've got no idea. We 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 haven't done it this way in forever. I know Prezcon does not charge individual event costs for the, the games that people play there, and they don't have a massive no-show pandemic running around Prezcon with people signing up for lots of events and then blowing them off because they can't. So for whatever complaining people want to do one way or the other, and Gary's right, doesn't matter what you say, people are going to bitch. It's just a matter of who is doing the bitching. Uh, and <laughs> And we we both know some people that doesn't matter what the decision is, people will complain just to complain. We don't know, and we're going to find out this year. We're, we're going to see what it looks like. So, uh, so Mike's on the hook for some bayonets and tomahawks. But. Yeah, and you know, and if only one person shows up, we're going to play it because I, you know, this is my own worst enemy uh, is bringing you this game, and I'll show you how to play it solo if you want. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> we'll get you through it. We'll get you through it somehow. Yeah. And if nobody shows up, we'll have some games in our uh, in our personal stash that we can pull out and play with others. As the Dragoons proudly charge into their eighth season of Mentioned in Dispatches, we'd like to pause and thank those Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Treb Curry, Staggerwing, Patrick Mullen, Mike Quigley, Hethwell Wargames, Patrick Garrity, Robert. 
Kevin Bertram and Joseph Knoll for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and enabling us to bring you the best wargaming content we can. You, too, can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchairdragoons. Some of the other Dragoons organized events that we've got going on. Uh, I'm bringing back a distant plane with the team layout and, and team focused game where we we put two people for each of the four factions and we split the tables into a separate military and diplomatic table. And, and the folks have to play the game a little blind. It's not a true double blind because you do have representation at both tables that can talk to each other but not everybody's around the same table doing the same stuff the entire game and so we've done this at origins past i've done it a couple places outside of origins uh it it was a lot of fun last year except for the fact that we spent four hours trying to talk through masks they got really sweaty by the end of the four hours uh but it was a pretty good time and and, and, i mean gary watched part of it it was was a great moment at the end of one of them that (laughs) <laughs> that ended up being a little too close to realistic when the American player cut a deal right there at the very end and said, all right, we're out of here and moved all of his pieces off the board and ended up claiming victory because part of the coalition victory conditions uh, is how many pieces you have off the board. And he just said, screw it. We'll see you later. And, uh, and, and bailed on the map and ended up winning. So it was, uh, it was an interesting contrast to current events, but well, and it's a, you know, that is a, totally by design feature of the faction dynamic in uh distant plane too so absolutely absolutely volko would seriously be be delighted to to have seen that result yeah and and to watch the blind side happen when it did too it's not like anybody saw it coming so we we've got two iterations of a distant plane one of them is actually wednesday night we're gonna we've we've put a couple events back on wednesday night we had resisted doing that for a while where we used wednesday night as an opportunity for our folks to to sort of hang out and get to see each other again and kind of had that family reunion moment but also for us to set up and poke around with a couple of things that we brought just for fun kind of like mike was mentioning earlier some of those off the books games uh but we had we had audience members asking why we weren't doing games on wednesday nights anymore so we're gonna put a couple back on there and see if people show up for them a distant plane is one of those uh also from the dragoons world we have uh second world war at sea we are doing three of these and this is the avalanche press naval game where there's both a strategic and a tactical map and Rick is running these. Last year, Rick did this as a double blind game where he had the two sides split on separate tables and and they had a blast. I... (laughs) I think in the four hour event, there was about 12 minutes of actual shooting because everybody was still trying to find each other. But but everybody had a good time doing that whole searching. Did we find him? Did we not find him? Is that the, you know, is that the enemy fleet? Oh, no, that's Amelia Earhart sort of stuff. So we've got three of these and Rick is doing the Battle of Midway. So this will be it's the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Midway. It'll be fun to see what he comes up with. The other thing Rick is doing is he's brought back Age of Dogfights, which we did last year, and the players had a lot of fun with that one. So we've got Age of Dogfights on the table, and then I've got a couple of sessions of Brief Border Wars from Compass. And we did this at Buckeye Game Fest, had a good time. Gary played in one of them. So, Gary, if you want to do a different one of the four games in the box, I'm going to have it there. In my copious free time. (laughs) In all of that free time. You can do it between turns 
of Europa. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah. And uh and and Compass is sending I me could do it cards. do it during my opponent's air phase. There you go. <laughs> uh Compass is sending me an extra set of cards also, so we'll be able to run multiple simultaneous brief border wars. So that'll be that'll be nice to do as well. Uh, of the Dragoons organized and run events uh distant plane age of dogfights bayonets nomahawks brief border wars and second world war at sea and so that's that's gonna fill up a good chunk of our program there if you're wondering why i'm drawing the distinction between dragoons organized and run events you're probably wondering well what are the not dragoons organized we've got a couple of publishers working with us uh not just the guys from song for war uh catastrophe games new game company on the scene last year was their first year at origins and they are back this year uh, our buddy tim has come back this year and he's going to have blue panther with him in the booth so they will be stocking stuff from holland spiel and white dog but not CSL. I, I, I'm betting not CSL. <laughs> I, I can pretty confidently say that after the phone call I had with Steve today. I was breaking down on my way home from Buckeye Game Fest. Um, so Tim's got a couple of new games out. He, Zermott was in demo form at last year's Origins. It has since been released. And we will have Zermott as one of the games that we're doing. We've got three of those on the books. Uh, the other thing we have with Tim and Catastrophe Games, we also have two sessions of Judean Hammer is game of the uh, the Jewish revolt against the Romans. So if you're interested in some ancients wargaming, some biblically inspired ancients wargaming, our buddy Tim has those on the calendar. Uh, and then the other company we're working with, Kevin Bertram, Fort Circle Games will be there. And so we've got three editions of Shores of Tripoli, which all of our curmudgeonly buddies will claim is not a war game, and I don't care because it's a fun game. And, and it involves ships blowing shit up, so it's close enough for me. Uh, we've got three sessions of Shores of Tripoli. If it includes explosions, it is a war game. There you go. <laughs> You're actually shooting at people. Um, we also have three sessions of the forthcoming Halls of Montezuma from uh, Fort Circle as well. And that's the one that covers the Allied expedition into Mexico in the Mexican-American War. Obviously focused on the Marine Corps actions because, you know, they can't help themselves. Isn't Fort Circle Games the one that's in my neighborhood? Yeah, they are. They are. In ah. fact, the name is based on your neighborhood, right? The circle yeah. of forts around D.C. that were there for protective purposes that somehow could not keep the British from lighting the town on fire. But yes, that that is in fact them. So we have a couple of publishers working with us this year. Invicta Rex will have Song for War, which is not yet published, but they're hoping to go to Kickstarter later this summer and use Origins to help build some buzz for that. And then we will have Catastrophe Games with a couple of theirs with Zermatt and Judean Hammer. And then we will also have Fort Circle Games with both Shores of Tripoli and Halls of Montezuma. So that fills up a pretty good chunk of our program. Gary, any of those that... You're you're looking forward to poking around with in your copious free time during your Europa opponent's air phase. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I you know I probably uh, will ha- give another whirl to a different scenario in Brief Border Wars. Um, I may sit down with the Song for War guys as well. Yeah, and actually wouldn't mind letting uh, given Second World War at sea a whirl as well. To be honest. Yeah, I'm gonna bug Rick on that one myself. The, the Midway thing sounds interesting. Yeah, I uh, we'll, we'll have to sit down and deconflict time schedules a little bit to to make sure that you guys aren't GMing something at the same time that one of those is happening. So yeah, Mike, any of those other 
game events look like something you're wanting to poke around at? Uh, all of them. I mean, just to see what's any, anything that's new, you know, just to see what 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 the uh, new ideas are. You I'm know, not look sure at the song that counts as new, but you know. I, uh, <laughs> I did look at the songs, uh, song for war video that you had posted, and that that looks really interesting. So I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, yeah. It is not the most historical game out there, right? There were no Italian aircraft carriers floating around the Mediterranean in World War II. But it's yeah. <laughs> it's a fun game. It does a good job of capturing the spirit of uh, of combined arms warfare in the Med. What is cool about it is. You have to deal with land, air, and sea combat all in the same game. And that's nice that you've got all of that mixed into one theater where Axis and Allies, you get that mixed on a global scale. With Song 4, you've got it contained within the med. And and you've got some really neat opportunities for for going way off script from the way history unfolded without it feeling wholly implausible. Um, In our game, we ended up with a British invasion of the Balkan Peninsula, and it didn't seem all that weird the way it unfolded. Well, that was a thing that they were, they actually just, I mean, that was discussed. Churchill was all for that. Yeah. 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 We, uh, we, we pulled it off. We, we had retaken Crete and we were sailing a fleet out of Crete towards Italy to threaten Italy. And when the Axis powers shifted a bunch of fighting power to reinforce Italy and Sicily, we instead hung a right turn and went into the western flank of the Balkan Peninsula and rolled up Athens from the landward side. And it worked. Had air cover flying out of Crete and the whole thing worked. It's kind of cool. So... The last thing on our schedule for the Dragoons to talk about are the command post exercises. We've we've got them back again this year. We couldn't do it last year. We just didn't have a big enough crew to do it. And this year, we, we've got them back. So the boys from On Target Sims, as well as uh, some friends, will be doing the command post exercises uh, around the Flashpoint campaign series games again. And Gary, you have described these things as almost kind of a wargamey LARP sort of thing. Yeah, you? I mean, there's some truth to that. I think the uh, the the uh, there are there are LARPier exercises, right? These are derived from. Correct me if this is wrong. These guys are from the War College. So no, the the. The events used to take place in the Origins War College. The The lead coach who was the primary driver behind these was from the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College. Okay, right. So, right. These are like yes. actual U.S. Army Command and General Staff College exercises or adapted therefrom. Right. Correct. Um, they are fascinating for the, 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 the very different angle that you will get to explore in these things from like a hex encounter war game where you sit around and move chits uh highly recommended to participate in at least one of these yeah it's yeah. a completely different experience like you said than, than playing a board game it's i i remember the first one i did i got back to the hotel room and the wife looked at me and said what what happened what happened to you were you robbed no i just finished the command post exercise game <laughs> and it was one of the most stressful war games i've ever played because it's just it's so intense and you're so into what's going on you just get wrapped up in it it's really awesome yeah so the way this thing is structured is all of the players are playing on one team together and and our crew are actually playing the opposing force against them and we use a computer for actually controlling the game action because that helps provide the fog of war for us as well as cranking through the adjudication a lot faster than we could do it pointing at stacks of counters and rolling dice and and we it's a four-hour event we spend about the first hour to hour and a half with the players and this is where our coaching team comes in we've we've got you know 
three between three to five people working as coaches with the players, teaching them how to make a plan using some basic principles the way the U.S. Army does and and the basic organization of that team. And so that team is organized like a U.S. Army staff, battalion or brigade staff. You have a commander, you have an executive officer, you have a plans officer, an intel officer, a fires officer, and they're each responsible for coordinating their part of the action based on the commander's guidance. And and so you spend the first, we take about 30 minutes to coach folks on how this process works, then about an hour of them building their plan based on their higher command's orders to them, and then we start the game. And about two turns into the game, when your plan goes completely to shit <laughs> we look at and the command and we go all right boss now what do you want to do um and that's where the stress kicks in that mike was talking about because the game runs not quite in real time but it runs continuously and and you have to react as the battle unfolds with whatever changes you want to to make in your orders as they're happening except there's orders delay there's ammo limitations there's you know integration of air assets versus anti-air assets are your cannons in the right place to fire and support of the guys maneuvering. If not, now you got to move the cannons. Well, you just move the cannons in the way of the reinforcements trying to get to the front line. There's, there's all of these things that you have to do in near real time. And and it's a lot of fun to watch folks go through this. So, Or in my case, passing off bad intelligence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or shooting friendly Jeeps, as has been known to happen. Um, there, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong, as you would expect. But it is essentially, uh, you as the players are a brigade-level command post, and you are managing the battle as it happens within each of your little specialties, uh, integrating into the overall success as a whole. It's been described as as the, the military command post equivalent of the Artemis Spaceship Bridge Simulator, and I'm not sure that's really all that wrong. Gary, you've done both. Is that fairly close? Yeah, I think that's an accurate assessment. Are there, you know, highly recommended experiences if you have not participated in them? You may or may not leave the experience saying, man, I got to do that again, but that's okay. You will, you will have learned a great deal about what is in our simulation games and what is missing from our simulation games by this simulation game that simulates a different game than what you played. (laughs) So we have three of these, one each Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and and we've got them kind of all over the all over the calendar. So we've got an early one on Thursday. Uh, the Friday one is a later evening one that is 7 p.m. So it's after the exhibit hall is closed, and then Saturday is the middle of the afternoon. Uh, one of the other things that I did there there I know the song for war guys I was able to line it up for, and I think Mike I don't remember if it was you or Rick that I blocked it out so that you guys would be able to play in one of the CPXs if you wanted to. Um, Gary, it's all a matter of between you and Lee juggling who's going to handle the Europa game as to whether or not you you want to get into a CPX if you're able to. I will encourage Lee to do so if we can swing the time. Yeah. It, it was when you've got 24 hours worth of Europa programming, it was a little tougher to block out some time for you guys to, mm-hmm. to, to have a CPX one in there. Honestly, again, the schedule Tetris gets a little entertaining at times because, for instance, Rick, our guy who's handling Second World War at Sea and, and Age of Dogfights, he plays in Larry Bond's Saturday morning naval game every year. So I've always got to make sure that Rick doesn't get anything start before like two o'clock on Saturday because he's going to go play in Larry's game. 
which is cool. Like he's done this for 10, 12 straight years. Rick walks over to Larry's table and Larry Mott is, Hey Rick, how you doing? So, because he's, he's such a regular at that table. Uh, Similarly, I know Gary's going to put on the Aardwolf's lair hat and want to go raid the exhibit hall as soon as it opens Thursday morning. So I got to make sure Gary doesn't get anything too early on Thursday because he's off being combination tourist journalist. So That's I, true. I, I got to make sure Gary's got a gap in there that he can beat everybody else to the Decision Games booth and buy all the stuff that Stigler's going to make fun of him for. I'm not sure I'm buying anything from Decision. I mean, I'll probably buy something. I just don't have a plan to buy anything from them specifically. You didn't have a that's plan last I, year. and you That's true. And I walked out with an awful lot of stuff. That's how I always buy from Decision Games when I walk over there because they have that little little rack with all the little miniature games. And, oh, hell, I'm going to buy one of these. I actually didn't buy anything unplanned from Decision. All my unplanned purchases were from Enterprise. Yeah. I would say the majority of my unplanned purchases were from Enterprise. Yeah, I'd agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. So so just the quick recap on stuff that we've got through the Wargame HQ. A Distant Plane, Age of Dogfights, Bandits and Tomahawks, Brief Border Wars, the CPXs, a shit ton of Europa. Halls of Montezuma, Judean Hammer, Second World War at Sea, Shores of Tripoli, a shitload of Song for War, and Zermatt. That's what we've got on our war game program. Anybody telling you there's no war gaming at Origins is full of shit because we've got them. We got 38 events spread over the, the weekend there from Wednesday night to Sunday morning. That's on our calendar. On top of that, Mike mentioned having a copy of Assault with him. Um, Gary is Probably not going to bring a whole lot of extra stuff just for shits and giggles, given that probably not. he's got 24 hours of Europa to deal with. I might bring Classic Traveler, though. Okay. Oh, oh. Why not? Because <laughs> why not? We keep talking about that, and I keep not. we keep not doing it, because everybody's exhausted at 10 p.m. Yeah, no kidding. I had a request from someone to bring some of the old Bayonet Games Warfighter stuff with me. So I will have the old uh, omnibus box of Bayonet Games Warfighter stuff that we will probably get some of that on the table every here and there uh, just to take a look at it in case a certain publisher is interested in reviving. We will see. Uh, but but I've been asked to bring it so I will have it. So that's another game that we're going to have off the books as a part of being there. Gary maybe having some classic traveler maybe not we'll see we'll see we'll see i know it's it's very compact i can just bring the tiny little book and that's all i need fits in your pocket yep that's all you need to run traveler just those three little black books I got the reprint, which is one little white book, one digest size white book that's available as a print on demand from drive through. But uh, that's going to be my travel version right now, since my original little black books are now priceless artifacts. <laughs> <laughs> and protected somewhere hidden well, the in one, the bunker. The, the ones in the shrink wrapped box. Yeah, those are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the, the single white book is the Traveler for Travelers. It's just, it's the, I forget what they called it, but it's it's what we're calling the little white book. It is yeah. it is a reprint of the three original little black books. Yeah. The uh, 1977 version or the 1981 yeah. version? Uh, it's probably the 81 version, I would assume. I, I haven't actually had, actually haven't checked that. There are differences between the two uh, for, you know, that's the reason why people draw the distinction, but I, I'm not sure they're particularly important distinctions. I, I don't think they are. They're pretty minor. Yeah. One of the other things that is not on the books that is a tbd event we don't yet know for sure whether or not our kriegspielers are able to attend and quite frankly we may not know until about 10 days before origins just because of some day job 
related work commitments that if our, uh, our our head Kriegspieler can make it, then we have intentionally set up the schedule that on Saturday evening, everything is done at our booth by 7 p.m. If we've got Kriegspiel folks available to run one, we will do it on Saturday night. If we do not, we'll end up with Bayonet Games Warfighter. We'll end up with Assault Red Horizon. We'll end up with Classic Travel. We'll end up with whatever it is we end up with on Saturday night after 7 p.m at the Dragoons booth. So just because you're looking at the schedule and you don't see anything published after 7 p.m. on Saturday night, don't think that the booth is all dead and we just putting up a gone fishing sign because we're going to have some stuff on the tables. It just won't be officially programmed games. Yeah, definitely drop by because I, yeah, I I may bring a few extra games along just, just for that purpose, yeah. Or buy a couple and play those. There you go. Yeah, so if, if you see the giant study carols that look like everybody's trying to take their LSATs at a game convention, then we've got a Kriegspiel going on. If you don't, then we've got other stuff on the tables and you're welcome to come see us and take a look and and join into whatever it is that we're playing there. So <clears throat> one of the things that we don't yet know is the final head count on who is in the exhibit hall because Gamma hasn't released that. And, and some people are wondering if Gamma is waiting until after the refund deadline for the hotel blocks to then tell you who's going to show up in the exhibit hall. Uh, I think they're waiting until after the show to tell you who is going to be in the exhibit hall. <laughs> that that may well be. Who was in the exhibit hall. <laughs> These these are the people who were in the exhibit hall. Sorry you missed it. There were some issues with the map of the exhibit hall last year where they released one that did not have Academy Games on there. And I noticed it about 10 minutes after hanging up the phone with Uva talking to him about... uh, you know, seeing him at Origins and having a chat with him. And I was able to get hold of the Gamma guys and say, what the hell? Like, I just spoke to Academy. They said they're coming. They're not on your map. What's going on? And Gamma pulled that map down real quick and put a new one up that had Academy on it. Um, Now, as per tradition, Academy didn't show up until 10 p.m. the night before the show. There is, I think, Gary, did we figure out that they are, in fact, the publisher that lives closest to Origins? Uh, The publisher that lives closest to Origins, I believe that's correct not not they're not the closest exhibitor yeah yeah that would be uh whoever's showing up beyond the board or whoever from actually in town but yeah yeah there's there's a couple of people from in town including at least one of the game organizations not counting cub the cabs who runs the boardroom uh but as as publishers go i think academy lives closest to origins from any of the other publishers and they're always the last one to arrive to set up their to set up their booth yeah (laughs) which uh which we, we always get a chuckle out of we're expecting academy games back at origins this year decision and enterprise are always there we know catastrophe games is going to be there because we've spoken with tim and we've got his events with us and just so we point this out for those who don't know enterprise games will be there specifically repping gmt again correct okay correct gmt helps underwrite enterprise games booth and so uh as i understand it uh and i'm not a hundred percent sure of all the legalisms behind this but as i understand it uh enterprise games has the exclusivity for gmt titles at origin so all of the new stuff so if it's a secondhand copy if it's used copy then one of the stores that sells used stuff can still sell a gmt something there but all of the new shrink wrap stuff from gmt that's that's fresh off the presses uh enterprise games are supposed to be the only ones selling those based on the exclusivity contract with gam um 
if I've got that wrong, somebody will yell at me when we're at the show and, and try to correct me, and that's fine. Um, but, Gary, you are correct. Enterprise Games are GMT's rep at Origin. Um, Which is why we run things like bayonets and tomahawks. Exactly. And a distant plane. And in the past, we've done Fields of Despair and Cataclysm and Time of Crisis and Fort Sumter and whatever else. Commands and Colors. Next year, Battle for Normandy. <laughs> in case uh, in case Europa didn't completely grind you into dust. That's so. well, it's, you know, I've I've survived it before. OK, well, that was Winterfest, wasn't it? Uh, no, I've never played the Europa at Winterfest. I'm just saying I've survived uh, this it. War of the Desert game and I survived Second Front before as well. Okay, so those are the, the more war game focused exhibitors that we know of that will be there. Uh, Ares Games is probably going to be there again. Again, they're not tied into the larger war game ecosystem, but they're still the guys with Sails of Glory and Wings of Glory and a couple of other uh, of the Phalanx games because they are the North American rep for all the Phalanx stuff. So if you're looking for the, the latest version version of a house divided or if you're looking for 303 squadron the one about the polish guys in the battle of bridge uh those are some of the games that you can find from aries steve jackson is there always got a handful of uh of, of war games or war game adjacent games or you know sort of that close enough right ogre is close enough we're still going to play it and have a good time sure outside of of those guys, Gary, is there anybody in particular you're looking for in the exhibit hall or or any particular types of products or games that you are? And, and they don't have to be war games, just shit you think is cool. If Studio 2 is so, so I mean, I'm going to hit the standard, you know, the, the every year hits, which is Decision and Enterprise Games and um, Catastrophe slash Blue Panther slash however the booth is labeled. Uh, I will definitely hit all those. I, if Studio 2 is back, I will hit them up for traveler stuff that I need to fill gaps on. Uh, they normally uh, carry the a bunch of stuff, but among other things, they carry the mongoose traveler stuff um and maybe check out modifius too maybe check out chaosium i usually buy something from chaosium even if it's something small and stupid yeah i was very happy to see free league there back in october i was a little miffed they didn't have all the t2 oh did stuff. i say modifius i think i meant free league oh okay Actually, i don't expect modifius to be there maybe they will be but I, i'm free league was there free league was there and i would have been happy to have left with a whole lot of t2k stuff if they'd had it with them yeah and i might buy i don't know i might buy that i might not it is a visually stunning package uh i've read a bunch of it i've not played the game yet but everybody that i've talked to that's played it really enjoys it so but mike what about you anything it's in particular pre- it's pretty much what uh, gary just said with the possible additions you know if, if lou's there and i don't know if he's gonna be there or not but you gotta go see how to lou because it's like that's like going back into a hobby shop in the 70s to, to see his booth yeah <laughs> lou was there last year by the way so haha uh-huh. so he maybe he'll be there this you year know, like a month after his collapse at uh for those who don't yeah. know lou zaki you know beloved icon of of hobby gaming collapsed at gen con last year while setting his booth up and had to be carted off to the hospital but we were we we were delighted to see him, you know, at Origins as well. Clearly recovering still, but uh, we were delighted that he made it. Yeah, we, and hopefully, there, hopefully he'll be at this one. There were legitimate questions even two days before Origins as to whether or not Lou Zaki was going to be there. His booth was still on the ske- on, on the map, and you know, as far as Gamma was concerned, somebody was going to show up and do it. And I think it was was it his daughter or daughter in law? It, it was some younger relative that actually whoever it was that took over and ran the booth at gen con also showed up and did the majority of the work at origins lou was there he was hanging out in a wheelchair next to his booth chatting mm-hmm. with folks but mm-hmm. he wasn't doing a whole lot of actual work which no yeah bad. some people i don't know who it was but there were some there were some some youngsters helping him yes yeah uh. 
After Lou, then I think next on my list would be to go see uh, Clinton Jody uh, Black from Carolina Game Tables because I think I've sent a couple of their kids to college by now with the purchases <laughs> I made over the last years. Um, so for so those that, that don't know, I think Carolina <laughs> Game Tables and Studio Two operate out of the same booth. Oh, okay. I, I think they've they've sort of got they've got like a partition in the middle where the games are on one side and the tables are on the other. But I think I think Studio Two and Carolina Game Tables are working out of the same booth or, or have been for the last several years. So and then beyond that, anywhere there's somebody selling dice, I'm probably going to be there ogling dice that I do not need. <laughs> I'm usually good to buy dice. Uh, you know, I'll 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 drop twenty thirty dollars on dice. I, I've never walked out of Origins where I didn't buy dice and, and not just like one or two. It's like you said, it's probably $20 worth of dice. I think I walk out. So last year, easy roller dice company was there. The, uh, and, and, and those guys always have some pretty solid classy stuff. Craig Zipsy from black Oak workshop, the, the friendliest, hardest working dude in the exhibit hall is, is always going to be there again. And and Craig's stuff, I, I always buy a handful of stuff from Craig just because he's such a nice dude. And uh, it, and he's the exact kind of guy you want to support in this business. Uh, just the the mentality and approach with which he takes his business. He's the exact kind of guy you want to support. Even though you might need nothing that he's selling, you still want to buy something just to help him out. Just just to, to support companies like that because they're great dudes. Um, there's at least four or five other dice-centric folks there, not counting Lou and game science because Lou does more than just game science dice. Uh, it it's it always cracks me up that just when I thought I've seen all the dice you could possibly see there, that there's something else that I hadn't seen before. And that's always kind of fun. I enjoy it. The Chessex, not the Chessex dudes. Who are the guys that do the actual Origins branded dice? Crystal Cast. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen Chessex there in a couple of years. But yeah, Crystal unfortunately, Cash, but... I was always reliably buying a giant bag of dice from Chessex every year. Nowadays, I I buy from Black Oak Workshop primarily. Yeah, this is going to sound a little weird, but Gary, what's something you are absolutely going to just breeze right past in the exhibit hall and not even think about? Uh, anything that has little <laughs> plastic figures. <laughs> so, uh, so the guy selling thirteen millimeter Warlord. Civil, you know, Napoleonic minis just going right by him, huh? If there's, I'll, I'll be very surprised if there's Napoleonic minis. There. <laughs> there Not were, that that would make any difference for me. There were at least two different booths that I saw last year. Again, the October mini origins almost, because it was about, it was the fun size origins, right? You know, it's... Um, I saw two different booths that had significant stacks of the Warlord uh, 15 millimeter minis sets for Civil War, Napoleonics, and something else. I mean, been clearly, I, ble- I breezed right by those. Yeah. Yeah. One of them looked like he was barely one step above Lou's game science booth in its organization and, and structure. The other one was one of the ones way in the back of the hall that had like the big metal wire looking framing with lots of stuff hanging off of it. And it was in the booth. It wasn't around the outside of the booth where you would have seen it just walking by. Um, but but it wasn't like it was one token box of minis. I mean, they had a stack of stuff in there. So I was I, I was honestly surprised to see it. Not upset by it. Obviously obviously a little surprised I, i'd have been upset <laughs> mike, what is that filth doing in here <laughs> mike what's something you're going to just blow right by all those little booths set up where people are pushing their little games they've just created like with with, this, with the names like get off my lawn and it's like gary said the little plastic pieces and just crazy odd games that look like they were made for kids by kids i'll go right by those 
Um, so, so the war for Christmas <laughs> village isn't doing it for you. huh? I might actually stop for that one. I mean, that, that sounds interesting to a point. <clears throat> that was there a couple of years ago. It's like elves versus snowmen. Though. And then there are, there are some booths where they sell things like the, uh, the full sized, uh, not full size. What am I saying here? The, uh, the lifelike miniatures of like houses and oh, what's the company. And, and I do glance at those actually. And I was going to say, I don't walk by it. So I will walk by it, but I'll stop and kind of look a little bit and I keep going because it is kind of interesting, but it's something I would not buy. Yeah. The, uh, I, I, I will walk quickly past the Wormwood booth only because I'm afraid that if I stop and look for too long, they're going to charge me 20 bucks. If you stand there, if you walk too slowly, your money will evaporate directly out of your wallet. Yeah. Those guys, I, I swear they, they charge for glances at their booth. I, shit in there is just so ridiculously expensive. It's crazy. Um, I, I just, it seems to have gotten to be a smaller and smaller percentage of the exhibit hall, which bothers me not a bit. But I blow right by all the collectible card game booths. I just, it's a, a part of the gaming market I just don't want anything to do with. And uh, and, and so I will zip right past those guys. I, I've got no interest in them at all. One so, or two of them have dice too. I was going to say, because they have not just dice, but they'll also have like uh, the little Funko Pop action figures. And they'll have, um, ah, what else was it? little miniatures that you can buy for like RPGs and stuff. Sometimes I'll have those. They, so for a while, there were some companies that sold a lot of the collectible minis games alongside things like the Warhammer seconds and things like that. Uh, but yeah, Funko pops aren't going to get me to stop either. Right. I mean, that's just not a reason for me to, to, if, if my daughter's looking for a particular Funko pop and I've been given a shopping list, then I will walk up to someone working the booth and say, do you have this? this one so i don't have to look through this giant stack of them and and if they do then great and if not then i will keep on going uh oh no not me because i'm looking right now on, on my shelf i've got a mirror mirror universe spock and it's the most awesome looking thing i've ever seen and again though <laughs> if somebody had said i need a mirror universe spock i would walk up to the person at the booth do you have a U mirror universe spock and if so please get it for me so i don't have to stand here and go through all of these so uh, if they want to sell me one then they will hand it to me and if they yes, don't then i will keep on moving but see look if you had if you stood there looking for the mirror universe spock you would have also seen the george washington crosses the delaware boat funko mini pop which is equally cool that's actually pretty cool. Gary, you knew we were going to get to it at some point. What's your impression of the Gamma Follies this time around with Origins been? I mean, the big hubbubs I've seen are people who are complaining about the fact that they don't have to buy expense, they don't have to buy event tickets anymore, because obviously that's something you should complain about. Um, the other thing appears to be that issues with the um, the hotel blocks. There are some, uh, you know, kind of old standby hotels that got left out of the convention block for I don't know why reasons. Um, you know, you're still free to make reservations at those hotels. You just won't get a dis discounted rate necessarily to whatever extent you were getting a discount anyway. Um, they're building a new hotel. Uh, that is going to be attached to the convention center itself. Um, so that'll be interesting when it's done. I don't believe it'll be ready for this year. Um, 
Otherwise, it's you know, it looked like at Buckeye Game Fest. There's not a chance in hell it's going to be right. No, they're still it's still girders. Um, so I mean, they could they could whip these things together pretty fast now, but I don't think they're that fast. But no. uh, the uh, I mean, I, you know, I, every year they have issues. They're they're using tabletop events now to do event registration, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think that is what tabletop events does, and it is not what Gamma does. So I think even if there are hiccups with it this year, which I expect there to be, I think in, in the long term if they stick with this i think it will be a good positive change for for origins yeah. so i mean i i don't have i guess the 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 end of that is i don't re, i don't really think there's been a ton to complain about other than signs of kind of typical gamma disorganization yeah the, the and everything's a month later than it should be yeah well so tabletop.events i think is is a net positive change i absolutely agree with you there and i'm not just saying that because that's what we've been using for almost two years now for for our events i I think overall that is a net positive change because you're right. That is exactly what it is built and structured to do. I think there's there are some hiccups in the initial implementation of it. As a guy whose day job is IT project management, there are hiccups in the initial implementation of every single IT thing in the history of ever. So so it doesn't surprise me that there are some hiccups there. Um, I think one of the biggest issues people have with Gamma right now is one that has been a steady and consistent drum beat over the years and that is their proactive communication to the community is still crap on a stick it is awful it is pulling teeth to get answers out of gamma and when you do you will get some form of official statement from somebody at gamma but it's in like a reply to a one-off facebook post somewhere it's like this is important shit how about you put it out there in in an official communicative category or some sort of formal statement for everybody rather than you know well, where did you hear that? Oh, it was in this reply on a Facebook post. And let me go try and take a screenshot. Like, just tell us stuff, right? Uh, the one year Gamma, well, I say the one, she was actually there for two, maybe three origins. And Gary, you worked with her when she was there. When when Danny Lowe was the mm-hmm. comms director at Gamma, was yep. the high watermark for those guys for, for communication. That's absolutely right. She has just moved on to working with Hatchet's games group. I didn't yes. know they had a games group, but apparently they do. And she's working for them now. Yes. She, she was at Pandasaurus for a while and and she was a Panasaurus for about two years or so and she's now over at Hatchet and and she I've been working with Gamma since 2005 and she's been my favorite comms director ever at Gamma and and because she went out and proactively engaged the community and she tried to find ways to help people get their stuff done. I know Gary you would have dealt with her as a journalist. We dealt with her for media coverage at different websites and she was always very supportive and very helpful. And anytime you asked her for, hey, can we do this? It was, well, sure, let's go figure out how. Well, and- the issue has always been that Gamma Gamma is not a public-facing entity. Correct. They are not good at that. They need to hire someone who is good at that, and they, you know, should just do that. That would be fine. So I am tentatively encouraged by some of the recent steps I have seen out of Gamma over the last three to four months of about some of their public-facing communication. They've recently hired a new comms director. She is not in Columbus. I don't know if she will be relocating to Columbus. My interactions with her have largely been positive. We will see if that continues once we get to Origins. I am hopeful. The challenge that we are running into now, and this is something both of you guys have seen unfold on social media some, is Gamma's continual and steadfast refusal to admit that Wargaming exists. (laughs) 
which is a, a and it's a good thing we're not sore about it yeah not the least <laughs> it, it is a as you can imagine it is a continual sore spot for us it is a continual source of much consternation uh that that kind of culminated into me asking on twitter if gamma's ever going to acknowledge that wargaming even exists and they said well sure the, the reply to me was or to to the dragoons account not me specifically but to the dragoons account was well sure if you know an organization who can do some wargaming at Ords is like really <laughs> they on. are literally members of gamma <laughs> there are members of gamma who are wargame publishers who were at the gamma trade show who would love to be in some of your origins preview coverage but the whole idea of if you know a club or organization who would be willing to do wargaming at origins god damn it we've been running the wargaming program since 2014 yeah we know somebody right we are that somebody so that again there is there is dysfunction and disorganization and a lack of institutional knowledge that that does not seem to be well transmitted through the membership of uh, not the membership but the hierarchy that actually runs the stuff up at gamma having said all that paul mcgraw is the events coordinator at Gamma. Paul is a superhero. Paul is one of the easiest people I've ever worked with in any sort of trade show or convention capacity. And and Paul is a fantastic dude. He's he's overworked because he's really good at what he does, so they keep giving him more stuff to do. He's also overworked because as the events coordinator for a convention with 25,000 people, he's got a lot to do. I mean, that's just, that is a big job. Um, Paul is is a mistake eliminator. Right when 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 mistakes get anywhere near Paul, he makes them go away. Um, he he fixes problems people didn't even know they had, and he does a fantastic job of it. And it's not that I don't want Paul's career to ever progress in his life, but if Paul stays the event coordinator at Gamma for like the next 20 years, that would be totally fine by me because he's he's so good at it. Um, so I, I don't want folks to think that we just hate everything Gamma is. We just, some of the stuff they do kind of annoys us. So Mike, I know you don't really deal with, with Gamma much on the back end the way Gary and I have over the years. Um, what have you seen over the years from Origins in terms of sort of organization and execution and structure? Any comments, any thoughts? Um, just personally for me, the registration fiascos that have happened in the past. Um, I don't think that's going to be a problem this year. I hope it's not going to be a problem this year. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's how we measure how successful Origins is, how fast we go through the registration line. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it can take we, quite some time. Yeah, I, I'm still look. We're we're waiting on uh, confirmation of when the GM badges are going to be available for the folks that are getting their events approved. And look, they they have to approve the events before they can open registration for the events. So the point at which they've approved the events, they know which GMs are should be getting what kind of compensation. I hope they figure that out so we can get the GM badges set before event registration opens up, so that our GMs can actually register. For the other things they want to play in, like Rick in his Larry Bond naval game. So I'm I'm hoping we get that sorted out sooner rather than later. We'll have to see what happens. See, Gary, he already knows. He's just not letting us know, so we can't yeah. register for anything. And it'll work he's, us to death. He's on the secret committee. <laughs> he really is. It's so secret I didn't know I was on it. That's true. It's very secret. Yeah. That's about as secret as you can get. I bet you don't know about the meeting that they had today either. Uh, you got me. It, it wasn't on my calendar with all of my other Tuesday meetings. 
it's probably happening as we're recording this podcast is probably what's yes happening. in fact it is happening right now is people that... are talking about us awesome. they, and it was all about it's all about gm pay and whether it's going to be 50 or 75 dollars an hour this year yeah yeah look we we try to get as many gm badges as we can because we have some of our events that we only have room to list one gm on them but like the cpx's it takes you know, a team of four or five guys to run those things. Uh, Europa stuff, it's it's going to be Gary and Lee. We've, we've got a two-headed monster running Europa. We've got a two-headed monster running Song for War. And I'm not sure that we're authorized more than one badge for each of those. So any extra badges we get are going to go to try and keep all of our GMs in the building um, and, and get those guys in for free as much as we can. With all of this, we've we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked a lot about our events. You can go look on our site at the event grid. It is there. That is what we know now for the Dragoons event grid. As we get closer to Origins and the final registration grid, uh, the final list of events goes public, we are going to pull out all of the Wargame events, whether they are ours or not, and put those into one big consolidated listing. We will also pull out all of the Wargame related vendors in the vendor hall for that map and we will highlight all those guys not necessarily on the map but we will we will give you a booth listing for all of the war game related vendors as well to make it a little easier for folks to find those and go support them so both of those will be coming gary's gonna end up doing a bunch of coverage from the show probably sure. some live stuff huh uh maybe we'll see uh wi-fi's not the greatest but i'll probably at least do something brief live yeah, probably turn on the phone and walk around a bit with the selfie stick there. So that's the idea. That video was a big hit. So yeah, yeah. So I uh, we'll we'll probably do some live walkarounds, maybe a couple live drop-ins at some booths, and let folks see what's going on there, as well as some reports from the show. We do not have our usual photographer crew with us this year. Uh, just family scheduling didn't support it. So there probably will not be the robust costume gallery that we are used to, but we are going to try to get as many pictures of gameplay of, of everything we can possibly find so that folks get a sense of the depth and breadth of the gameplay that is there. Um, it just probably won't be as many costume photos as normal. Um, for some of you, that might be a relief, <laughs> but, but that's uh that is going to be a limitation that we will have this year. So uh those are some things to keep an eye out for as as we start to ramp up towards Origins. If you hadn't already bought a ticket, uh, we hope that this helps provide you some more information one way or the other about whether or not Origins is something you want to take the plunge on. Uh, we hope to see you. If you're there, make sure you come by the Dragoons area and come say hi to us. Mike, any thoughts on Season 8 as a whole now that we are putting a bow on it for the end of this season? It was our finest season yet. I agree. <laughs> Gary agrees because he was here for half of it. <laughs> That's why it was our finest season yet. <laughs> and none of them were the two and a half hour Charlie Awards bitch fest. So oh. um, the, the spring season is always a bit of a challenge because the fall season is pretty easy, right? We, we know we got holiday shopping to take care of. We got a compass catalog. And we got Charlie Awards. Like those three things give us built in content for the fall season. The spring season, we're sort of winging it a little bit more. Um, which is how we end up talking about operational level Napoleonic war games and the American Civil War, two things that are not in my wheelhouse. But we went ahead and brought folks in to, to discuss those as, you know, 
brought them in anyway. We uh, well, we could always talk about dice again. I mean, come on. We could do another. Let's wait till after Origins when we pick up a bunch of cool <laughs> stuff at, at booths there, and uh, and we'll go back to dice again. Gary, that's what that, that's one you guys should probably cover for one of your live streams with Dan. Just do an hour and a half on dice one night. We could actually. We could. Yeah. I could bust out the brand new dice spinner. Oh okay. yeah. Right. Okay. If you've yeah. got that, you've got to bring that to Origins. Oh, uh, it's coming. It's absolutely coming. You know what? We thought about that actually. Somebody said, "Oh, you should bring that to the Europa game," and I'm like, "No, it would slow us down." I. <laughs> I got to make 60 friggin' air combat die rolls to get this combat out of the way. I'm not bringing the dice spinner. It's going to slow us down by like half a second on each die roll. We cannot afford the time. What What you need is you need a, a, a mega-sized dice tower that will handle 30 dice at a time that you can... There's do. ways to do... There's ways to deal with that. All right. Uh, audience, thank you for this uh, this fantastic ride you've been on with us through Season 8 of Mention and Dispatches. Again, we will be back in the fall, probably Labor day-ish and we'll pick up with season nine then uh in the meantime you might get a stray one-off or two over the summer here and there in the meantime gary is gonna have his monday night live streams going on the the counter clipping show and then your show with dan is sticking on tuesday nights for now correct that is correct the everything you wanted to know about wargaming and then uh mike's shows are not live but mike's regular wednesday appearances on my own worst enemy on uh on the armchair dragoons website uh Everything you wanted to see on Solo Wargaming, Mike's got you covered. We'll, we'll ride those horses through the summer until we come back with Mention and Dispatches in the fall. So, and it, is, it is not just Solo Wargaming. That's not true. just Solo Wargaming. Uh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm selling you short a little bit there. But it's a lot of solo war gaming. Well, it's 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 solo played war gaming, but we but, you know I cover other games as well. All right, fine. Picnits. <laughs> okay, so thanks, audience. Thanks, gents, and we'll see everybody in the fall when uh, when we get around to season nine. Mentioning dispatches.